Wednesday, June the 17th, 2020. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. I always say, you know, we have an action-packed episode. We got a full-loaded episode, something along those lines. But I promise I'm never BSing you. It's genuinely because we're going to have so many different topics coming up, and that's going to be the case today. We'll go through some random uh, sports news. Then we're going to dive in with a segment on the NBA, talk about everything happening and their plans to return MLB, what's new with the players versus the owners, the back and forth. We'll have a segment on baseball. We're going to go for some WWE news, and we'll recap the backlash pay-per-view from over the weekend, and then get ready for this. Wednesday, Thursday, horse racing. Full card from Indiana Grand, Gulfstream Park Best Plays, Canterbury Late Pick 5, all for Wednesday, those three different tracks. Then for Thursday, Best Bets from Belmont, Best Bets from Churchill, and then that Pick 5 from Canterbury. So yes, we're going to give you three different racetracks for both Wednesday and Thursday. A ton of handicapping, really, really dove in to the races this week. Get ready, folks. It is time to talk a little, a little sports. You know, first up, we got to see golf make their return. And I'm going to be reading through a little bit of a, um, it was a roundtable article I was reading on uh, ESPN. And it talks about what we've now learned from the PGA Tour's return. It talks to to Todd Archer, Bob Herrick, Michael Collins, and uh, Nick, let's go with Petruzowicz. So uh, that's a fun name to sell. Here are some of the, the major takeaways from the PGA Tour's return. So... Um, talking um, about some of the, the things that these four gentlemen um, all noticed while um, watching. I think a few of them were there. So uh, after a three-month layoff, some were rusty, but the quality of play did not seem to suffer, um, which is always a positive. And Bob Herrick mentions that golf can do this. Um, it already has distancing. It's not played with a shared ball. And this is a sport that feels like they can make it. Excellent first tournament. Tweaks need to be made to assure a safe environment. Um, Michael Collins says that golf doesn't need fans for drama. And uh, they're just keep the on-course mics on. And we hear everything mentioned a moment where you heard, uh, where you heard a Brooks Kepka F-bomb at one point. Which is what you know we all kind of want to hear from uh, at home. We kind of want to hear some of the behind the scenes and somebody dropping an F-bomb and cussing and maybe a, a talking trash to each other. Um, although even in golf, social distancing isn't easy. Players were handing clubs back and forth to caddies, which was supposed to not happen. Rules officials ended up getting close without wearing masks. Fist bumps happen regularly, but there were only a few minor things. Nothing big. Seemed just like a couple things they'll have to tweak. Um, but it's not the the one thing that uh, Nick was mentioning is that it's not it's not instant, right? When we it's not as easy to just turn off these habits that we've developed for years and years and years and years just because we have to. And it's not even that we don't want to. It's just it's some of this stuff is muscle memory, right? It's just our it's been nature. There ended up being a playoff uh, between Daniel Berger and Colin Morikawa. Berger got the win. Obviously, the most jarring thing that they had mentioned was the fact that there were no spectators. But not hearing cheering, not hearing booing, no grandstands. Um, there were, but but people did like the fact that you you are able to hear much more on the course, the golfers, and so it's going to be kind of a different um, 
you know, it's going to be different, obviously, with no with no fans in some of these places. But you will be able to kind of hear and get a little bit of insight that you wouldn't in other situations. And that's going to be the case for all other sports, too. So, a couple things that they thought they needed to change. Um, they want to get more mic'd up. And they want to be able to kind of let the players have a little more personality, which you generally don't have in golf a lot of the time, right? We see them out on the golf course. We don't see a whole lot of before and after, behind the scenes, anything like that. This is when you need that. So there were some fans, you know, kind of scattered around. And then some of the folks that lived close, they had grandstands that were built up. Um, kind of to be able to interact and watch the players Which some of the players and the golfers got a kick out of And they just wanted to mention a few To uh, keep an eye on this year um, Colin Morikawa And uh, Deshambeau And then Sha- um, Shoffley was another one Who uh, these folks seem To think they'll be primed for a big year So golf was back and, and maybe some things that other sports That are hoping to return can learn From what we saw from golf last week and maybe tweak some things that they thought uh, they that maybe they can do a little bit better themselves. Over in the NFL, we heard that some of the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans players tested positive for the coronavirus, which there's going to be players in all sports, all industries, everything going on that are going to test positive. Hopefully that the uh, it, you know the symptoms aren't bad Everybody can get treated Sometimes it's not even um, that you really even carry some of the symptoms So uh, And it seems that one of the Players was Ezekiel Elliott Who didn't seem too happy when he Tweeted out HIPAA With a question mark The Health Insurance uh, Portability and Accountability Act He was wondering why people know that It was him that was out there His agent ended up telling NFL Network That he did test positive but he's feeling good so none of the players had been at the team's facility during the offseason They haven't allowed, been allowed to be They've had um, an infectious disease consultant on the medical staff for the Cowboys And said one player had flu-like symptoms last week but was feeling better The other players tested have uh, been asymptomatic They're following all CDC, local, NFL guidelines to keep facilities safe so they don't know how the players have contracted the virus yet But yeah, just we're starting to see that Obviously with more testing, we're going to have more numbers um, Of people that are testing positive But we're starting to see because of um, you know lots of things reopening I think people kind of feeling a little bit laxed on wearing the mask and stuff That some of the numbers are going to end up spiking So I think at the, you know, at the least the sports and a lot of the events that are on TV Are going to have to Set a really good example and make sure Because they're going to be really Really watched um, By everyone so hopefully uh, You know NFL Players we see we also are going to hear about some Baseball players we don't know who Yet that have uh, also tested positive So now with the ability to get Tested more often we should be Able to kind of At least help And Get to know the the folks who have it, you know, especially baseball, basketball, football. Like these these uh, sports are going to be able to get tested uh, plenty because now we're able to get um, tested here in the public. I think that was one of the key reasons why lots of these sports were waiting to get back. They wanted the testing availability for the public to be 
um, more more wide open. Otherwise, it would not have looked good that they were able to test the players every single day while a lot of people are sitting here waiting for the, the ability to even get tested. So a little bit of news in the world of golf and, and kind of using them as a template to move forward. And uh, also NFL, not the best of news when you have a couple uh, testing positive Let's take a quick commercial break. When we return, we're going to talk a little NBA. Father's Day is coming up. It's just this weekend. It's on Sunday. Uh, A really good gift for your dad, for your pops. Could be a candle. Uh, Sarah Candle Company. Visit sarahcandles.com. That's C-E-R-A candles.com. And why I like dealing with Sarah Candle Company is they their goal was a little bit different. They wanted to create a candle that was 100% natural, clean burning, and the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. A couple of reasons, uh, you know, why I think they're the best. All natural soy wax, no toxins that are found in that paraffin wax, which is what a lot of the other major uh, leading candle brands used. That all natural soy wax actually will hold your scent better and will burn up to 50% longer than the traditional paraffin wax candles. They also use 100% lead-free cotton wicks, completely natural scents, which they have over 25 scents, three different sizes. They're made in micro-batches, hand-poured to ensure the highest quality, 100% locally sourced, handcrafted in the USA. Heck, I know the, the folks right here in Temple City. I've known them my whole life. Great people, small business. They just want to help you out there and make sure that everything around you is smelling good. And if you're looking for a particular one for Pops, um, the creators of Sierra Candle Company said the oak moss and amber is one that your dad will love. These are fragrance oils. They're infused with natural essential oils. This, the candles actually come with instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and to ensure the perfect burn. You're going to want to make sure you trim that wick a little bit. Uh, these are the best ingredients that you could possibly find for a candle. Quality packaging, affordable prices, longer burning, none of those toxins, those carcinogens, none of those pollutants that are present in those paraffin wax candles. Created by people who love candles They started out experimenting They just wanted to create the perfect candle for themselves And this blossomed in To Sarah Candle Company Through research they were able to discover The benefits of that all natural soy wax And here's the key folks When you use the promo code G-I-N-O you get 10% off your purchase there. Go on right now. If you're a fan of candles, next time you need a candle, check out sarahcandles.com. Or maybe you need a little something for Pops, you can send it to him. sarahcandles.com, promo code G-I-N-O. Gets you 10% off your purchase. My personal favorite is the Fresh Roses. You can also check out the Del Mar if you're a horse racing fan. sarahcandles.com. The NBA is on the way back. We spoke uh, about a lot of the specifics last week with Alex Regla, but now we know even more specifics. So let's get through some of the information that we we know now um, in the last, I guess, week or so. There, after they determined they were going to return in this bubble in Orlando with the the twenty two teams that are going to play eight regular season games, figure out where the seating is for everyone, and then get into a a, a playoff. Where everyone is there staying at different hotels in the uh, Walt Disney World, um, you know, wide world of sports, different comp, the complex right, uh, right around there. And there have been some players that have been a little bit hesitant for different reasons. There were a lot of conference calls that are held over the, the last week or so. Uh, initially, there were 40 to 50 players on conference calls um, discussing a bunch of different things. Um, some of them are starting to get a little nervous about the, the isolation part. 
being in that Orlando bubble. No visitors until after the first round of the playoffs, which is seven weeks from when you get there, which is mid-July for the training camp. So the players, I think, on teams that are just on the bubble that barely make it back or players on teams that don't feel like they're going to win a title, they're a little bit worried about jeopardizing their health, maybe the health of their family, or just kind of putting themselves in a, a little bit of a strange situation. Executives, I'm reading through. Uh, this is uh, some stuff from uh, first from Adrian Wojnarowski, and then I'm going to get to the the Shams uh, Sharania stuff from the Athletic. Uh, following this, so executives and coaches around the NBA have had significant concerns about how players will adapt to an environment unlike any they've ever experienced. This is something we talked about last week. How those hurdles could impact uh, impact the sustained competitive drive for teams. They're worried that teams that aren't on title contenders, whether some players will start to seek avenues to bypass the resumption altogether. So, yeah, if you're not on one of those top teams that's necessarily driven, are you as focused and are you kind of, you know, not as um, sold or not as into the idea of, you know, leaving your family for at least seven weeks? Who knows? Maybe more than that. Not being able to kind of go out. And do things you can't. I mean, obviously, we're not all, all able to go out and do a whole lot of things now. But you still have a, a, you know, a sense of freedom, being able to go places, not necessarily being under watch at all times, like you're in a camp, kind of like it, uh, even more than a college, uh, you know, situation here. So, so, some of the concerns: family situations, the inability to leave Disney World Resort campus, the coronavirus pandemic, the implications surrounding the emergence of social justice causes in the country. Participants in Orlando will not be able to leave the bubble environment without a 10-day quarantine upon their return to the Disney grounds, sources said. Players with medical issues that might put them in high-risk categories could seek an independent exam to learn whether they would be excused. Even those told they're fit to play would be allowed to bow out, but without pay for the final eight regular season games. Players deciding against the Orlando resumption would not be paid for missed games. The league started withholding 25% of players' paychecks on June 15th, um, because of the force majeure provision in the CBA that, um, that will repay teams for canceled games So players who decide against participating in Orlando Can be replaced by a substitution player NBA is going to allow replacements for players who test positive for the virus Or who suffer injuries And those players who replaced who are replaced become ineligible Once you're off, you're not back on If you get the virus and you're off and somebody's replacing you Or you get hurt and you're out and somebody replaces you You're down, you're done So now we can get into a little more. I guess before we get into the specifics um, of of the uh, you know the layout and everything, Avery Bradley and Kyrie Irving have been very vocal in a lot of these conference calls, which is weird. And it was first heard about Kyrie, then we heard about Avery Bradley. We also heard about Dwight Howard as a um, a few of the people that were vocal and, and talking a lot about the um, the. Opportunity they have right now, and how important you know the NBA is to the Black community. They want to make sure that you know they're able to send um, you know get the messages across that they want to get across when the NBA um, gets gets together. And uh, there has been a, a statement released that said a central goal of our season restart will be to utilize the NBA's platform to bring attention and sustained action. To issues of social injustice, including 
combating systematic uh, racism, expanding educational and economic opportunities across the black community, enacting meaningful police and criminal justice reform, and promoting greater civic engagement. We're in discussions with the Players Association to develop a comprehensive strategy on how the NBA, its teams, and players can best address these important social issues and uniquely position our league to drive action and create meaningful and generational change. So they want to make sure that that while they're out there playing, they're able to also continue to use their platform to get the messages out that they want. This is a big thing that Avery Bradley has been pushing. Um, they detail planet issues. Um, the two uh, they describe several priorities, including improved hiring practices for black front office and head coaching candidates, making it so the league's management better reflects its composition of players, donations to organizations serving black community, and partnership with black-owned businesses and arena vendors. The NBA players want to use platforms in Orlando to speak on issues of systematic racism. They believe those efforts would have greater impact with their owners' help. So they're hoping that some of the owners will come out and help too, regardless of how much media coverage... Um, and this is one thing that we that I I, th- I like to hear. Avery, you know, wants some action. He said, "How much media coverage will be received? Talking, raising awareness about social injustice isn't enough. As athletes, we can solve the real issues by using our pla- um, it, it, as uh, we we as we solve the real issues by using our platforms to speak. We need to find a way to achieve more. We need to see real actions being put into the work. So he wants more than talking." And that's what Avery wants to see And that's kind of what he wanted to make sure to let everybody know On these conference calls He Then I went on um, Saying he wants to see an, an increase in black executives Among the ranks of top basketball decision makers uh, NBA has 8 black general managers But only 4 that have the final authority On basketball decisions NBA has 7 black head coaches And Masai Ujiri is the title of president And full authority in basketball you know, Over in Toronto so the uh, Avery Bradley was quoted as saying the act of the actual act of sitting out doesn't directly fight systemic racism, but it does highlight the reality that without black athletes, the NBA wouldn't be what it is today. The league has a responsibility to our communities in helping empower us, just as we have made the NBA brand strong. So he just doesn't want it to be on the way to the players to take care of the issues. So uh, Kyrie Irving and Bradley are a number uh, are uh, among a group of veteran players who have taken on expanded roles in organizing player conference calls. They believe they have a responsibility to explore solutions for fellow players who are reluctant to speak. So that's uh, what we've heard from you know some of the players and over the last week or so they've been voicing some of their issues, especially you know this is, I see more than even just going to a, an area in the bubble with the coronavirus, with everything that's happened over the last few weeks, with all the protests, with everything going on in the world. This is a, an opportunity for these NBA players to really have a a platform and to really try to uh, to make a difference, as as he said, not just use the platform to speak, but to really make a difference. So, Sham Saranya from the Athletic has a. Big uh, article that kind of details a lot of the specifics for the bubble. So I guess, and before we even get to that, to do like just recently, um, Kyrie has kind of talked about starting their own league. Kyrie's a little different because, like, from Avery Bradley, we seem to hear a lot of specifics about you know 
um, some of wanting change. Kyrie's always just been a little bit different, but like the way he thinks, he he's just a different kind of guy um, mentally. With um, and and that's not he's 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 very smart, and he thinks he just kind of looks at the world in a different way. He's not like driven, I think, the same way as some of the other athletes are. So you just kind of get different approaches and different takes on the world from someone like Kyrie, who has you know kind of said to the players that maybe they should start their own league. Not sure if that's uh, something that would uh, ever actually be able to be in the cards, but. Uh, who knows? Uh, Kyrie's throwing that out there. So inside the NBA bubble, this is uh, from Sham Sharania on the Athletic. So these are some of the this is some of the information that the players, uh, the NBA Players Association, sent all of its players. July thirtieth, Disney World near Orlando, 2019-2020 season will resume, and there are going to be phases. And here we go. Phase 1, June the 12th through June the 22nd. So we are currently in Phase 1. Players who are outside of the U.S. should return to their team's home market by June the 15th, which is, you know, you're going to get this is coming out on June the 17th, so they're hopefully all home. And by June 22nd, mandatory testing beginning on June the 23rd. Only exception is the Toronto Raptors. They actually have to go... Because they're in Canada, they have to leave early and go straight to Naples, Florida, and use the uh, arena of the Florida Gulf Coast University as uh, their practice facility while they quarantine. You know, based on the travel, players can work out at their team facilities during this. Only individual workouts will be allowed. Players must contact their team to schedule workouts and treatment sessions. Teams may conduct virtual workout sessions, Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, that players would do from their homes. Players, um, once they're in their market, they have to remain at home with members of their household and only leave for training or treatment at the team facility or essential activities. Anyone residing at a player's household is asked to limit their travel and exposure to other people. So that's phase one. That's going to go till June the 22nd. Phase two, which will be at the team's practice facilities, except for the Raptors who are already going to be at this point in, in Florida. Players expected to remain home with their household members, only leaving for essential activities. Teams begin the mandatory uh, COVID-19 testing of all players and staff. They'll have a shallow nasal swab, an oral swab, and a blood draw. And they may also be able to volunteer for a Yale University study uh, with the goal of developing a saliva-based test for the coronavirus. If a player or a household member is feeling sick or has any symptoms, they must report the symptoms to the team medical staff and follow the guidelines. Fever, chills, coughs, shortness of breath, difficulty breathing, fatigue, unusual muscle pain, headache, new loss, sense of taste or smell, sore throat, any of that stuff. Non-participating players who are either excused or protected will not have their salary reduced as a result of non-participation. Excused players are those who a panel of three medical experts determines to have a higher risk for severe illness for uh, from the COVID-19. In phase three, it starts on July the 1st, and it goes through basically July the 11th. Um, team practice facilities, individual workouts are mandatory for all players. Group workouts are still prohibited for medical reasons. No more than eight players will be allowed in the team's facility at any one time. Head coaches can now participate in and observe individual workouts. Then we go to phase 4A. Now we're July the 7th through the 11th and we're at NBA campus at Walt Disney World. See, this is what you this is unfortunately, you know, what's going to have to happen nowadays for a while at least. This is the kind of, you know, precaution that 
all of these, you know, all of the restaurants, I'm sure a lot of you out there where you work have to do things like this, whether you're wearing a mask or gloves or, you know, social distancing, things like that. We're going to be till July the 7th before they're even able to, like, really begin team activity stuff. Teams take a chartered flight or bus to Orlando on a staggered basis from July the 7th through the 9th. Players and staff must stay isolated in their rooms until they return two negative tests at least 24 hours apart. Players will have the option to wear a proximity alarm that will notify a player if he spends more than five seconds within six feet of another person on campus who is also wearing an alarm. All team and league staff must wear the alarm. It is optional for players. Certain Disney staff will not be required to reside at the campus and they will not undergo coronavirus testing. However, they will be screened each day. Everyone on the campus will be required to wear a face mask at all, a face mask at all times, except when eating or in their individual rooms or during a workout, um, engage in physical activities outdoors that's not within six feet of another. Wow, lots going on here. Physical distancing protocol of six feet or more. Players have the option of wearing a smart ring that will help with the early detection of the coronavirus and track temperature, respiratory, and heart rate and other measures. Random anti-drug testing will resume, but only for uh, SPEDs and diuretics. No testing for recreational substances, but players will remain subject to discipline for possession or use of prohibited recreational substances. They note that marijuana is not legal in Florida. For B, teams can engage, and this is July the 9th through the 21st. Teams can now engage in group workouts, practices, weight training, meetings. Uh, Players will still be permitted to conduct individual on and off court workouts or drills under supervision of team staff. COVID testing will continue with regular PCR testing, daily temperature checks, symptoms, surveys. Um, At all times on the court, players must avoid spitting or clearing their nose, wiping the ball with their jersey, licking their hands, unnecessarily touching their mouth guard. Those are things that it's like, you've been doing this for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years, 35 years, some of these guys, and now they're going to stop just because they are told. I I know you have to, but it's hard, right? After initial self-isolation through July 21st, players may eat meals and participate in social activities like ping pong, golf, video games, um, only with individuals residing in their uh, hotel. And then there was also a note that they're only allowed to uh, to play one-on-one, no teams. Uh, any meal eaten with a player are on another team must be eaten outside. Players are not permitted to enter each other's hotel rooms. Disney chefs will prepare daily meals. There will also be a room service option. Uh, food deliveries from outside are not allowed, but they do have the option of bringing on their own chef to cook. Phase 5, July 22nd through the 29th, teams will play three scrimmage games against other NBA teams that are in their same hotel. And from July 22nd um, on, players are allowed to socialize with players and team staff from hotels other than the one in which they are residing. And then the final phase six, July 30th through October the 13th, teams play eight seeding games to conclude the season, followed by a play-in tournament if necessary for the eighth seed, and then the traditional 16-team, four-round, seven-game NBA playoff series. Um, Yeah, that's a lot to digest there, right? Once a team advances past the first round of the playoffs, they will be allowed to reserve up to 17 Guest rooms for guests of players On the NBA campus Players are responsible for the cost um, Yeah And then they, they give where everyone's staying The Grand Destino, the Grand Floridian And the Yacht Club 
hotel amenities, players-only lounge, NBA, 2K, TVs, gaming, pool, trail, barbers, manicurists, pedicurist, 24-hour VIP concierge service, movie screenings, DJ sets, video games, ping-pong pool, lawn games, and players can attend other games. That's a ton going on. Some things, too, from Keith. Smith, NBA, per Walt Disney sources, the Grand Destino Tower at Colorado Springs is considered to be the main hotel at Coronado Springs, and uh, Coronado Springs Convention Center is considered to be the main hub for the NBA. This is why teams are expected to be in the longest are there. If a team staying at the Grand Floridian or Yacht Club stays in the playoffs longer, they may be asked to move. They'll say they'll cross that bridge when they come to it. Outside entertainment may be brought in, including bands, DJs, comedians. Disney will make movies available for players and their families once they join. This likely to include movies that have not been released to the general public, including Marvel's Black Widow. All food will be prepared by Walt Disney World culinary teams, except players can have some personal chefs. Um, ESPN Wide World of Sports will be set up. Uh, HP Fieldhouse, the Arena, and the Visa Center. A primary game court, secondary game court, tertiary game court, practice courts. Uh, mixing and mingling of NBA teams uh, will not be allowed until later. A lot of the same stuff that we just went through in uh, in Shams article, and they talk about how the they're hosting the MLS. It's one of the biggest undertakings that we've had, and um, they had said that they would love to have the NBA players attend their games. During their downtime and, and maybe back and forth Something that the leagues can work out So yeah there is a A ton not, that's, that's the thing that happens now right We figure out okay we're going to play and it's not just Go play it's like now we got all of these Tons and tons of things To start figuring out So the NBA Coming back July the 30th And we're going to see a, a different Looking NBA and we'll be able to watch some of these uh, I'm sure some of the practice games And some of the uh, the scrimmages beforehand But we'll continue To uh, pass along all the news As it comes out for um, how things are. Go- I mean this is like a, a continual process Right for how things are going to go I think they're still figuring things out on the fly here And it's going to be a little trial and error mm, Big time sports are on the way Back and that means We're going to be playing a lot more daily fantasy Sports I want you to check out this new Daily Fantasy website and app It's called Thrive Fantasy You can go to the website thrivefantasy.com or download it And download it and then Put a few bucks in right away and, and check it out And test it, I think to me that's always the best way To test things out, and when you do If you sign up for a new account If you deposit at least 10 bucks You'll get an, and you use the promo code GINO G-I-N-O, you'll get an instant $10 bonus credit It'll come right to your account within minutes So you nothing wrong with getting a, a Free 10 bucks right back just for using that Promo code G-I-N-O you can get an opportunity to play in, you know, once baseball, basketball, football is is back, we'll be playing in all sorts of contests. What they do is they have a DFS contest for prop bets. So if you're someone who plays over unders or totals, or if, if prop betting is a, a big part of your betting, or maybe that's just something that it interests you, check this out this week, the PGA. The RBC Heritage on Thursday Featured contest, $20 to enter $1,000 first prize They have over $4,000 guaranteed in prizes Remember, 
Use that promo code G-I-N-O And when you deposit at least 10 You'll get that $10 instant bonus credit Right back, it's 20 bucks to get into that contest On Thursday They also have tons of free rolls So pay attention for those where it Just like it sounds, yeah, it's a contest Where you can win money for free It costs you nothing to enter They have free rolls on Friday $100 free roll for League of Legends If you're interested Uh, For LEC on Friday, $100 free roll They also have a $50 free roll For LCS on Friday Remember the key, when you sign up Deposit 10 and use that promo code G-I-N-O That'll get you that $10 instant bonus If you have any questions about Thrive Fantasy Give me a, a, a shot on a on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media I'll help you out, I'll explain it to you You select the prop bets You have a couple in case of emergency selections And it's a ton of fun If you play daily fantasy, if you wager If you bet a lot of props You will fit right in with Thrive Fantasy Make sure to use that promo code G-I-N-O So as fans, I'm sure uh, it, it, we're all getting a little bit frustrated with what's happening in, in baseball. And I think we're we're all kind of, if we didn't know this before, we're all finding out, I'm not going to you know pull any punches here, how much of an idiot Rob Manfred is. The commissioner, he is going, going to go down as one of the all-time, not bad baseball commissioners, all-time bad sports commissioners in general. What he is doing right now and not being able to be a better steward uh, back and forth between the players and the owners Yes he is someone that works for the owners But he has to do a better job Here of yeah, Convincing and coercing them How important playing baseball at this time Really is and how much it would mean For I think the world Out there to have you know uh, A major sport Symbol of a little bit of hope And it it is what we need. We we need something to kind of watch and cling on to. It's so cool to be able to talk about, you know, getting back into the swing of things in in the NBA. And when you hear some of the things that you know that's gone on so far with Manfred, you you know, it's no it's no wonder because this is the same guy who dealt out those punishments to the Astros and the Red Sox. And remember the ones that really upset me and tons of people out there that said literally what did this guy do absolutely nothing I mean he he did nothing to these teams zero penalties whatsoever and now this is the same guy that we're starting to see how incompetent he really is he talked about how at one point how meaningless the World Series trophy is he just compared it to you know a, a sim it, this guy doesn't get it he doesn't get it we're gonna go through Jeff Passan's article I mean last week he said 100% there will be baseball this year. Now, he said he is not confident that there will be baseball um, and uh, there is real risk going on. He was talking to Mike Greenberg on Monday. He walked back his comments from last week when he said, unequivocally, we are going to play Major League Baseball. Yes, this is the same guy that we're supposed to believe that gave us all that BS about the Astros and Red Sox cheating. It obviously was a cover-up um, and, they, and they should have been stripped. Um, so he's flip-flopped in one week from 100% to now not 100%. The commissioner's office told the Players Association it will not proceed with a schedule unless the union waives its right to claim that management violated a uh, March agreement between the feuding sides. This is literally like two little brothers fighting and bickering. This is like, and and I I am 1,000 million percent on the side of the players. So anything that the players do in their rebuttals are completely fine because the players 
now said they are ready to play. They literally just said that. That was their last move. The players and the owners have been going back and forth for a while, and the players could tell that the owners were BSing them. The owners were never really, really negotiating in good faith. They did not listen to anything the players were proposing at all. They never wanted to play an actually long, longer season. They are not being transparent with the books. The owners are saying they're losing money, but they're 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 not showing them that there was just a new like massive TV deal that came through. And we've seen other sports agree to use the pro rata that MLB owners will not use. I mean, this, it's pathetic from the owners to do this. I'd be pissed off too if I was a player. Here's what Manfred said. It's just a disaster for our game. It shouldn't be happening. It's important we find a way to get past it and get the game back on the field for the benefit of our fans. So the owners are 100% committed in getting baseball back on the field, Manfred said. Unfortunately, I can't tell you that I'm 100% certain that's going to happen. I think that's BS. I call BS on that. The owners do not want to get baseball back on the field. If they did, three days ago when the players said, we're ready to play, you just tell us where and when, and we'll show up. They, the owners and Manfred wouldn't have come back and said, oh, well, we're so worried that they're going to file a grievance. Who cares? Honestly, come on. This is just back and forth. And Trevor Bauer calls him out and says why, and I'll get to that in just a minute. But first off, uh, Tony Clark, who's the MLB uh, executive director for the Players Association, issued a statement on Monday. The players are disgusted that after Rob Manfred told players unequivocally in fans that there would 100% be a season, he has decided to go back on his word and is now threatening to cancel the entire season. Any implication that the Players Association has somehow delayed progress on health and safety protocols is completely false. Rob has recently acknowledged the parties are very, very close. This latest threat is just one more indication Major League Baseball has been negotiating in bad faith since the beginning. This has always been about extracting additional pay cuts from the players And it's just another day and another bad faith tactic in their ongoing campaign. He's he's dead. He's he's dead true. It's spot on. This is crap from the owners. On Saturday, MLB delivered a return to play proposal that called for a 72 game season, guaranteed 70% of the prorated salaries. Um, And it was just back and forth. Real crap where, where baseball has not done anything um, The owners to, to to move forward Or to move any closer to making a deal This is And then the players said It's unfortunate It appears that further dialogue with the league Would be futile It's time to get back to work Tell us when and where And then the response from the owners And Rob Manfred is Oh, we don't know if there's going to be a season. Why? Your players just told you, tell us when and where. You're going to give us what you want. We're going to have to play as many games as you want or as few games as you want anyways. Just tell us here. We'll take it up and file a grievance afterwards, but we're going to play baseball at least. And the owners just said no. We also found out that MLB knows of several rosters and players and staff who have tested positive for coronavirus. It was a in a letter obtained by the Associated Press. Rob Manfred said he believes the union intended to file a grievance with the league and they have not fulfilled its obligation under this March 26th agreement to play the most games possible, which he deemed a bad faith tactic. Trevor Bauer calls it. 
He says that this was a tweet that he had on June the 15th. So June the 15th, so how do you delay another 13 days? Guess we all got that answer today. Threaten to cancel the season, threaten arbitration, threaten grievances, all the while hold the fans for ransom, hold the future of the game for ransom. No one believes your bluff, bud. You're holding a losing hand. Unfortunately, it's a losing hand for everyone involved, not just you. There's some saying out there about not killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. Check it out on the old Google machine. It's worth knowing. Love Trevor Bauer. He really speaks his mind. So, uh, Rob Manfred told ESPN, unfortunately, over the weekend, Tony Clark was declaring his desire to get back to work. The union's top lawyer was out telling reporters, players, and getting back to owners that as soon as we issued a schedule... They intended to file a grievance claiming they were entitled to an additional billion dollars, which they are. (laughs) So obviously that sort of bad faith tactic makes it difficult to move forward in these circumstances. It's frustrating as a fan. So here are some major questions from Jeff Passan. Says, uh, you know, he still thinks there's probably going to be baseball, but some owners are mad at the hard line stance the players have taken regarding the salaries the owners have done the same thing in their hardline positions. A key issues for owners who say playing games will add to losses already in the billions. The union has requested the information and the league has not given it to them. So why? Why? And the, the also the problem here is once they decide to, to set a schedule, they have to sit down with the players now and, and make sure they go over the schedule and, and you know kind of agree to everything. A couple different options, maybe a fifty teams, a fifty game schedule, ten team playoffs, maybe a sixty game schedule with the sixteen team playoffs. Obviously, the union wants to play more games than the owners would want, so they're going to you know, probably have a little bit of a, a, a small battle in just the five or six games back and forth. The players want to prove a point, they want to stand on principle, and, you know, mainly it comes down to this. The league has asked players to take significant pay cuts of their prorated salaries, a salary they'd already agreed on back in March. And... The, they feel like the owners are trying to force the them, the players, to bear the brunt of the business losses here. And keep in mind, the players don't get major rewards and business gains. They've got their contracts set. It's the owners when things go really well that make all the additional money. And then in recent years, players find um, they're at odds with the partnerships in the league. Um the attrition of the middle class in free agency, service time manipulation, salaries not growing with revenues, and situations where teams get uh, are able to penalize players who have not reached arbitration, um, and they are able to implement a salary if they don't accept the team's offer. This is, I mean, I still think we're gonna get baseball. But this is not going well. And it's not the fault of the players. It is the fault of the owners who continue to just kind of have this we don't care. And you know what, owners? We've seen this happen in baseball. We've seen this happen in hockey. We've seen this happen in sports that have, you know, lockouts and multiple lockouts. The fans get fed up with it. Even though the players are in the right, you talk to most people about this out there and they don't care about who's in the right. They just want baseball to come back. They don't want billionaires and millionaires arguing. 
I, I side on the side, you know, on the side of the millionaires because they're getting, like always, they're getting kind of screwed over by the billionaires who here, I saw a great comparison to this and I think it was Ryan Rosillo who tweeted it out. He said, so why are the owners so fixated on making sure they don't have a ton of losses in 2020 when every other business in the world is going to have losses in 2020? This is not your normal year. Like they're lucky that every year these teams are are able to turn a profit and make money because of of you know all of the all of the benefits and tax benefits and luxuries they get by owning a team. They could be terrible owners like we saw with Donald Sterling and the Clippers and you make money. And that's what's frustrating is that some of these owners made their fortunes in other places and they've treated and they handle you know what they do with their baseball teams and how they you know now they approach owning a baseball team as just that of an asset which you can't you can do that but you have you have to be able to 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 do a little bit of both right everything can't just be asset 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 you have to have a a little bit of of a personability to it right it can't all be just by the numbers you have to have a little bit of feel so I'm, you know, we're all getting more and more frustrated by the day. I love baseball. I, I'm, like I said, I'm on the side of the players, and I want this to get back. But uh, if the owners continue, um, you know, playing stubborn like this, I, I just think it's going to be two more weeks. Just like Trevor Bauer said, they're going to bluff, 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 and then they're going to say, "Okay, now we're back," and they're going to say that because at that point they're only going to be able to play 45 to 50 games. If you say right now, "Let's get back," you can get back in three weeks and you can play 70, 75 games, but they don't want to do that. The owners just don't want to do that. So that's unfortunate. I know one lady who is a huge Dodger fan. She's a big baseball fan. Let's talk about Cindy Carava in just a second. One of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast is Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. And I am here over in Glendora at Coldwell Banker with Cindy Carava. Cindy, how was 2019 for you? Tell us uh, a little bit about what uh, what kind of stuff you were working on. Hi, Gino. Thanks for having me. Uh, 2019 was just really great. Uh, I had a great year uh, selling homes all the way from Altadena, Arcadia, Monrovia, out to Upland and Ontario just recently. Um, the market has, has been uh, really good. Um, we're looking forward to 2020 with an increase in home prices about 5.8% this year, opposed to last year where it was a little softer. We saw uh, more like homes averaging about 3.5% in increase in value. Um, it's also looking great for buyers. Uh, the interest rates right now are going to be staying under 4%. So if you've been on the fence about thinking about buying a home, home, now is the time to do so with interest rates still staying low. And you offer more services than just the buying, selling, and leasing homes. Tell us about some of the other services that you offer and what a full service realtor really is. So you're right, Gino, besides me being uh, a full-service realtor of uh, finding properties for my clients to buy or selling their homes or finding rentals for them, um, I also have a plethora of resources like uh, handyman, contractors, electricians, plumbers. Uh, I even, if like I said, if you're thinking about getting a home loan, I actually work with two great lenders that I can recommend to anybody. And you're all over the internet, social media, websites. Let us know some of the places where we can find you. I know I've seen some reviews on Yelp and on Zillow. They, everyone always has positive things to say. Everybody hears me raving about you all the time. But where can uh, everyone else find out information about you or contact? 
Thank you, Gino. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, and uh, you can contact me on my website, which is www.cindycarava.com, or my email, which is cindyc.realtor at gmail.com, or feel free to call or text me on my cell phone, which is 626-394-6400. Cindy is awesome. She's one of the kindest and most genuine people I've ever met. I promise you, you will enjoy every minute you interact with her. So thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, Appreciate all of your support from That's What She Said podcast. Thank you, Gino. Have a great day, everyone. So uh, we talked about how the NFL had some players testing positive for COVID-19. That was the case in WWE. We don't exactly know who yet, but it seems like for the first time, I guess this is the second time they had someone who came and tested positive, didn't show any symptoms, and this was months back and then didn't spread. The very beginning And now um, this one recently Comes on the heels of WWE Just letting in fans um, Some fans for the first time over the last couple days They have But WWE has been Taking the temperature Of the wrestlers And using precautions But they have not been testing for um, COVID For all of their wrestlers Like All Elite Wrestling has been doing So there's been, you know, kind of mixed stories coming out about this. Um, they had a huge gathering this morning. Everybody got tested, and now it seems like everybody will be getting tested. I know the uh, tapings that were supposed to be on Tuesday had been canceled, and this is going to be obviously the story that they monitor now and make sure this doesn't spread. If it just, um, you know, stays to that one person, I'm sure that they won't have to, uh, you know, wait long before they get back up and, uh, you know, tape their next show or. Hopefully, you know, Friday Night Smackdown We did see Backlash Over the weekend, talk, going to talk a little bit about that And unfortunately Coming out of Backlash in that Edge versus Randy Orton match Edge got injured with a torn tricep He may not be, he may be out for Eight or so months, that's that's general And Edge is a little older Could maybe even a little bit longer I mean, we may not be seeing Edge until Re- WrestleMania 2021 20, if he Wants to continue with this run I don't think he wants to necessarily go out like that In the middle of what felt like a feud with, with Orton And Orton gets the win there We'll get to that match in just a minute Let's go through uh, Backlash uh, Kind of quickly and talk a little bit about Some of the things that happened on Monday Night Raw That relate to the matches On the pre-show we got the US Championship Apollo Crews versus Andrade And Apollo gets the win at 7 minutes and 25 seconds Fine match here Like the fact that Apollo is getting a little push We're also seeing the uh, the group that Selena Vega manages um, have uh, their issues, and, and looks like somebody is going to be uh, kind of breaking away from that group soon. Solid match on the kickoff show. We then get to uh, the main show. It kicks off with the women. The uh, first match is the women's tag team titles: Bailey and Sasha versus Alexa and Nikki versus the Iconics. This one went eight fifty. Bailey and Sasha get the win. Pretty nice. Match here too uh, In this triple threat They had three women in at the same time And, and it was it went really quick I like the pace of this match It was good, Bailey and Sasha They're still going with uh, with that angle Bailey's got the two belts going And at some point we'll get that Bailey and Sasha feud That we feel like we've been waiting for Forever We then uh, Saw Miz and Morrison backstage um, Otis um, Came in for a moment and uh, you know, said he possibly could cash in tonight. We saw Otis and Mandy just for a second. 
Then it was Asuka versus Nia Jax. This was a, a kind of a dud, to be honest. It ended up in a double count out. It went 825. It these these two have, have had a lot better matches, and they didn't have a great one on, on Monday Night Raw either, where Nia ends up getting disqualified for pushing the ref down. So they're really um, keeping Nia strong. Looks like they're going to continue along with this for one more, and then maybe we'll get to Charlotte and uh, and Asuka for SummerSlam. That's, that's probably the game plan uh, for this one. Uh, and then it was the Universal Championship match, Braun Strowman versus The Miz and Morrison. They did, they did a lot of fun with this. I think they did as best as they possibly could. I think anyone thought that Miz and Morrison had a shot. They had about a couple minutes where they were in control of of Strowman. And when they were on offense, they were doing a pretty good job of you know giving giving a brief a brief um, feint of hope um, for some of the, the folks out there that thought they had an opportunity to win. But uh, Braun picks up the win, 7 minutes and 23 seconds. Kind of a super predictable outcome, but that was fine. I think this was more just to... To continue uh, Braun's uh, Braun's reign until we get back to a, uh, I think going to be the fiend Bray Wyatt next. We then saw uh, Bobby Lashley attack Drew McIntyre prior to their title match, and so Drew was like a, Drew was a little weakened. These two guys end up having a really good match. Um, I think they can they can. Probably get a little to the next level because we got Lana's involvement at the end, and and that ends up hurting Lashley here. McIntyre gets the win with the Claymore at 13 minutes and 15 seconds. Fine match. This Bobby Lashley with MVP getting rid of Lana as the 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 valet is good. I liked Lana with Rusev, and as the the ravishing Russian, she just has not been good in this role that she's been in the last few years. It was first with Ziggler, and then even. You know, back with Rusev and now with Lashley, it just it, it wasn't good. Lashley feels legitimate with MVP. Then we got what was supposed to be a Street Profits Viking Raiders match. They end up it it becomes one of those weird cinematic matches that they've been having, and I like the cinematic matches where it's not a match; it's just kind of like a bunch of you know skits taped together and. It was silly. It kind of played on all of their, um, you know, their challenges that they've been having back and forth, and it ended up with a group of ninjas attacking them, led by Akira Tozawa. There's a huge ninja that's like seven foot three, Jordan Amogbean, and he had a sword. We see him the next night. It looks like he's gonna gonna have some kind of an interaction with the Big Show. This guy is massive. He's huge, but this, I mean, this really wasn't a match. I'm okay. I like these cinematic, you know, matches that they're doing. I just thought this one was obviously of all of them a little flat and probably the weakest. And maybe they should save them a little bit more for bigger feuds. I don't mind having a fun one like this. It just this one didn't hit with me like the uh, you know like the Boneyard match with AJ and Taker or like the the Firefly Funhouse match. Um, I. I didn't really love the one on NXT either with uh, with Adam Cole and, and uh, Velveteen. I thought the finish in the Sheamus versus Jeff Hardy match was a little weird. They go 16 minutes and 50 seconds in what I thought was a really, really good match. I love this comeback that they're doing with Hardy. Yeah, the storylines, we've seen them do it before. They play it out. You know, the drinking, the alcohol. Sheamus had pee thrown in his face recently. and well, Fake pee, obviously. It just... 
I, I don't, I, if you're going to go all in with Jeff, go all in with Jeff. And why go back and forth here? I know you're probably setting up a final match between these two at Extreme Rules, but I think you can legitimately get Jeff into the main event picture one more time for one more run. And I, I didn't like him losing here, um, even though it was a really good match going 16 minutes and 50 cents, uh, 16 minutes and 50 seconds. We then got the Orton Edge match, which was taped. This wasn't like a cinematic match, but they edited it. There were some things that they um, they added to this. The referee was old school referee attire with the bow tie. We had Howard Finkel's um, voice uh, introducing both. And I mean, this was really, really good. It went just under 45 minutes. It was long, but this one was way, way better. There was a lot of action. It was it was really, really good. Randy gets the win with the the punt, and then unfortunately we find out that Edge is uh is is hurt. He with the triceps injury. So bummer there for Edge, but um they they did a lot of you know throwbacks to Kurt Angle, Christian, Triple H, The Rock, um. Really good match. Obviously, so hurt so much by the greatest wrestling match ever tagline that it was getting leading up, but a damn, damn good match and a pay-per-view that was really, I thought, worth your watching. Going in on paper, if that that main event match didn't deliver, it could have very easily turned, but it was a solid, solid pay-per-view. And if you didn't see that Daniel Bryan uh, versus AJ match on Friday Night SmackDown, go back and watch that one too. That thing was excellent. I thought a pretty good week of wrestling from WWE. Now let's hope everything goes well with uh, the coronavirus news and when they start testing everyone, let's keep our fingers crossed that they don't have a, you know, a, a spread and we can continue to to watch our uh, our wrestling on uh, on Mondays, Wednesdays and and Friday nights. Let's get into the Wednesday horse racing and we're going to talk uh, about Gulfstream, we're going to talk about Indiana Grand, we're going to talk about Canterbury. But before we do, just want to keep a uh, keep something in the back of your mind. Stable Duel. Remember Stable Duel, the fantasy horse racing um, site that's been up a few different times. That we've we've had a couple different contests. We've talked about them here. We break down the lineups. Well, just keep in mind, Stable Duel is on the way back. Go follow them on social media on Twitter at Stable Duel or check out StableDuel.com. Download the app if you're interested. You can look into it. I promise you, as soon as we get more information, we'll let you know. But uh, keep your eyes and your ears peeled for Stable Duel on the return. Let's get to Gulfstream Park Wednesday, June the 17th. Get your past performances out. We're going to get to race number three for my first play, and it's going to be the number two, Days of Spring. Let's go back to May the 3rd because that was last time this this gal was going a mile on the turf, and it was in a similar spot, optional 25. This is a, an open 30 claimer. She just took a bad step right after the start, and and she was really all over the place in the first furlong. Didn't seem comfortable at all. Then she settled. She angled to the outside with a nice rally. I think it was just a little too late. Um, she ran well that day. It was a deceivingly good effort, and and just a repeat of that effort would beat this group. I think Days of Interest is a horse to include in all of your exotics. Let's make a win wager if we can get five to two on the number two. Days of Spring. Did I say Days of Interest? I combined uh, the one and the two. Days of Spring. The number two. Days of Spring. Five to two is our uh, our value line there. Let's get to race number five. The number four. Saint Benevolence. 
He has enough speed to get himself into position here. He's going to be cutting back from a mile and a 16th to seven furlongs, and he's going to be switching from the turf back to the dirt. Look at the last time we saw him on the dirt against optional 50s. Um, that was back on December the 13th at Gulfstream Park. So he's run well. He was a good third that day over this racetrack. I mean, you see a horse like with Verve, who he faced uh, you know, in, in his start on the dirt prior to that good third. You know, with Verve, who faced Sol Volante and Ete Indian. This guy's just in a much, much softer spot. A much softer spot. You get the big cutback now. St. Benevolence, enough speed to put himself in position. That's the number four in race five at Gulfstream Park. We're going to go to race number six. The one, my candy girl, I think is a, a little bit interesting is a horse who's you know, got a couple decent races on the grass that going long on the turf, breaking the maiden race. Nothing wrong with that. But my top selection here is going to be El Scorcho. That's the number six, who just faced tougher in her first couple. And I think she really found a, a good spot. She found her friends last time out. And she just has to, you know, take a little step forward off of that effort. And she could be really tough here right back. A little bit dangerous would be another horse maybe if you're, uh, you're going a little bit deeper. But the six for me... El Scorcho. We'll make a win wager if we can get anything around five to one. Let's use along with the one My Candy Girl and the nine Little Bit Dangerous. Let's move to race number eight at Gulfstream Park for Wednesday. Forty thousand claimers mile on the turf course. Let's start with the five. Coco Star. Okay, Coco Star was coming out of some really, really tough races, dropped in for the maiden tag for the first time, and and really put it all together for Maker. I think he's getting ready to continue to take a step forward. This is a great spot for Coco Star to sit a really nice trip. He was behind Spanish Kingdom, uh, a couple starts back, who came back to win pretty impressively at Churchill Downs at a big price. Sh- uh, shake some action, who was a next out winner, and Vader was a nice next out winner. The six uncorked the bottle will probably be in the mix. I think the race will go through him. He'll probably be a horse to use in your exotics. Dinah Drive, whose turf form is just excellent overall. Uh, beaten just a neck most recently, so not giving you anything really outside the box there. And then Bahamian Prince is the other one for a barn who's so, so good first off the claim. But Coco Star will be the top selection there. The number five will use along with the six, the eight, and the nine in some of those exotics. And then in race number nine, the I think the single, if you're playing, you know, any kind of late exotics, is probably Indimage. Um, expensive style would be the only other horse I would think about using in there. But Indimage does look really tough. I, I'm, I'm not gonna like, give that horse out to you as a horse to bet, but for me, that would be a horse to maybe single in some of the late exotics there at Gulfstream. I'm not sure if I'm gonna play any kind of late exotics or just approach it more of a, a race by race situation there. So that's. Wednesday, Gulfstream Park. Let's get you over to Indiana Grand. Get your past performances out. We'll go full card. We'll try to go quickly through this uh, Wednesday for Indiana Grand. Race number one, I like the five in here, polarizing. I think they just found an open 10 claimers too tough last time out. That was at the end of, uh, you know, back in October, the end of 2019. This born can fire off the bench. They won back in 2018 with an 18 to 1 shot off a 674 day layoff. They're only 1 for 12 plus the the 180 day layoff, but they have 6 in the money finishes and 5 of their last 6 horses in a situation like this have hit the board. So they they do a good job of getting horses ready to fire off the bench for a, a limited barn. The one L's crown. There's not a lot of other early speed in here. If she breaks well, she could be really tough to catch going five furlongs from the rail on the cutback. 
And then the three, new appeal who comes in with a couple races over at Turfway. And that that kind of recent form may end up helping her a lot in, in a group like this where you do have a ton of uh, Phillies and Mares who have not raced for uh, for a while. So, new appeal will include in the exotics, but the number five polarizing our top selection. If we can get around five to one, we'll make a win wager. So the five polarizing with the one, L's crown with the three, new appeal. If you're playing the early pick four, those would be the three that I include. If the 13 draws in in race number two, make sure to use remember the storm. I think he'll be really, really tough in here. We're going to start with the eight, Kit Kat Kitten. So he was favored in his debut. He got squeezed back at the start. He made a slight bid. He was up to within about four or five lengths, and then he tired. In his second start, he was actually asked for some speed early. He was close up in second. He was just off. He was chasing lone speed, and the and he was all in early. Now you get a big drop in class for Kit Kat Kitten. I like the fact that he's shown some speed in a race that just does not have any of it on paper. I mean, maybe our baldy B. I think Kit Kat Kitten has the opportunity to sit right behind, maybe even get the lead in here. The number eight, Kit Kat Kitten will put on top. The four, the first time starter, Doc's Blue Tipper, uh, will include the six, Arbaldi B, and then the two, Marco. So the the way I'm looking at this race is the the six is the one to beat. I'm I'm using the eight Kit Kat Kitten, who I think is the, I think there's more to this guy. He's got a little more ability than we've been able to see on the drop. And then the first time starters wouldn't have to be much to beat this group. Don't forget if that 13 draws in, make sure to use the price for Kit Kat Kitten seven to two. If we get over seven to two, seven to two or so, we'll make a win wager. Use along with the four, the six, and the two. In race number three, I like the one nothing but flowers. The September 11th race. Just a brutal start, went down to her nose, was favored against Stakes Company that day. It just put a line right through that. So she breaks her maiden in her debut, and then she has that to deal with in career start number two, where she just has absolutely no shot. Comes back on October in October at Keeneland against open optional 75 non two. She's 32 to 1 that day. She faces a tough group. She hooks a horse named Cofactor. Who was in the middle of winning three in a row? She won a stakes race, a hundred thousand dollars stakes next out at Laurel. And she stumbled at the start. She recovered. She actually got up to within a couple lengths on the outside, and then she faded. I mean, that was just a tough race. It's gonna be a much better spot for her from the inside. If she breaks, she could be really tough to pass. Nothing but flowers. The one to catch does look like release the heat. And so I think nothing but flowers ends up sitting a little bit from the inside. Release the heat, probably the one that they'll all have to run down in here. One, four in race number three. For me, I mean, no knocks on the 12 whatsoever. Obviously, this one could could show up and fire a big one. Um, I'm just going to go one sitting the trip from the inside and you know if if you're looking for another horse it would be the 12 that just I just hate kind of being very captain obvious and using what might end up being like ABC horses in a race like this so we could take a little bit of a stand with nothing but flowers in race number four I'm gonna start with the number nine Miss Stella 
So she comes into this race for Thomas Drury, only a few uh, works listed over at Churchill Downs. Her dam only won once, but she won her debut sprinting. And only one sibling, but that sibling did win at two outside the country, ended up beating older as a two-year-old recently. This barn is 15 for 85 with first-time starters over the last five years. They've actually won with their last two first-time starters over at Belterra. I think the nine, Miss Stella, looks really, really good in this spot. I'm going to be using her in all of the exotics along with the number two, Godwink. This dam was unraced, but she has produced three foals. Two of them have been uh, three foals to race. Two of them have been multiple winners. A nice steady tab for Ray Hernandez, who's super capable with first time starters. Four for the last 39. So, I mean, the numbers don't jump off the page at you, but definitely can win with the right one. The number five, pretty happy with the experience. Had some trouble. This is uh, the two year old daughter of a run happy. Should improve with that, that race under the belt. I think the same for Scat's choice, who. Faced a nice Toby's heart So the 5 and the 6 with the experience They should uh, both improve Coming out of that race The 8 Vartan A first time starter who's shown a little ability In the mornings with some quick workouts here So for me it's the 9 With the 2, with the 5 With the 6, with the 8 Let's put the 9, Miss Stella on top We'll make a win wager on Miss Stella If we can get anything over 5-1 to one In that 4th race Early pick four might play something like this: uh, one, three, five with two, four, six, eight. Could single the one. Nothing uh, but flowers. Uh, maybe you go one, four, depending on if you want to go a little deeper in that third, and then two, five, six, eight, nine. Who I would close things out in race number four. Let's move on to race number five. This is the start of your late pick five sequence, and I think the one is just the one to beat. A little unlucky, huh? The fourth time this filly has started And it's the fourth time she's going to end up drawing the rail This is just her second start on the grass It's her second time going long on the grass She just runs anything close to that last effort at Gulfstream I think that crushes this group Because to me, the major question mark is the horse right next door It's soothing She needed the race But, you know, now you're getting a big drop Immediately, which you never kind of see as a positive I like Sequoia a lot more than I like Soothing Because I've at least seen good efforts From Sequoia From Soothing, I haven't seen that for a while And I'm not sure if she's quite the same When you you know, you know change barns sometimes or, or you change circuits sometimes This one came from Southern California Came out to Churchill They're kind of trying to figure out where she fits at Indiana Grand And now another drop She could crush this group But I much prefer the one Sequoia, and that's the horse who all single if you play the late pick five. Um, if you're more of a late pick four player in the next race, I always recommend the late pick fives or the pick fives with the low takeout because they're much, much better. Anything you can get at a better takeout, lower takeout, always look for those. Let's single Sequoia in the late exotics. To me, I, she feels like a you know, like a nine to five, eight to five shot in here. Race number six. I'm just going to use two horses, the two outside horses, the seven and the eight. Blinkers on, super Jen. She'll be she'll be super tough in here. Coming back from you know open company, back in against state breads. French vanilla. The October eighth race is the one I really liked. I think we can excuse the November fifth race. The French vanilla settled in third that day, was within two, and was traveling really well. Loomed up to vie for the lead, and then tired. Just kind of a repeat of that effort Numbers and figures are low But I like the the race visually So give French Vanilla a little bit of a look With some outside speed there Super Gen and French Vanilla Those are the two we're going to use in race number 6 
if French vanilla is like over six to one, maybe we can uh, put a few bucks on French vanilla. Some of that outside tactical speed. Race number seven feels like uh, a race where I start with violation, the eleven, and it's maybe violation, you know, in on some tickets where a horse I can kind of key in on, and then a spread on another. Talamo starting to heat up, riding a couple horses over here for Holtis. They claim this one, and what I like is she's faced better at Oaklawn in her last few, and they beat 15 non-three claimers on the turf. They beat a first-level allowance group on the turf at Remington, and they were third versus second-level allowance. So you get a barn who's fine off the claim. They're capable. They can win with horses off the claim, and they immediately go to the grass, go back to the grass, which is weird because, you know, Violation has done really well on the grass, but we haven't seen her on that surface in a while. All three turf races were in a row. They were back from October to November of 2018, and then she hasn't got on the, the grass for 12 straight races, which is a little bizarre. Well, you get on the turf here. Use the 11 Violation in all your exotics. Wicked smart. Going to try turf for the first time. The 2, I think you have to use with that kind of speed. The 8, 261. It feels like the measuring stick against this group, the one that they'll probably all have to end up beating. Don't mind me trying turf for the first time. Um, I think the pedigree, while not like directly having a ton of turf influence, it just screams turf when you look overall um, with uh, the arch on the dam side. The 3, Gift Wrap. The, if you just key off the turf sprints, this horse could make some noise at a big price. The 5, Flat Meadow. I mean, if you're just going, again, we're just looking at turf sprint form on Flat Meadow. Go back and take a look at some of those races. Uh, the Churchill race, three starts back against optional 62 non-twos was really good. The 12, Tiz taken back. Who's cutting back, has a little bit of speed, and, and will be having to come from more off the pace in here. I just thought this was a brutally difficult wide open race. I'll, I'll kind of key the 11 on one ticket, and then the other ticket, I'll go 2, 3, 5, 8, 10, 11, 12. I have him ordered 11, 2, 8, 10, 3, 5, 12 in a really good race uh, on in the, a betting race in uh, the Indiana Grand 7th. Another stakes race at Indiana Grand in race number 8. We're going to be uh, looking at the Sagamore Sired 6 furlong, $75,000 stakes race here. I'm going to go to the 7. Nutty Train, who's a maiden, but who's going to come back and will come running late. Cash Logistics, the 4-5 to five morning line favorite. Obviously the one to beat. Um, had a slow start, came running. She I Expect him to be a lot closer here. But if they go too quick early, Nutty Train will come flying. The four Rampage who won his debut, he can fire fresh, and he looks like he's going to be um, part of the uh, the early pace and some big speed in here as well. So seven eight four for me in Indiana Grand's eighth race. We get to race number nine, and we will go to the two to start things out. Irrevocable trust. Now, keep in mind there are 10 races at Indi- uh Keep in mind there are what, 10, 11 races at Indiana Grand, but I'm only going to be talking about the, uh, the Thoroughbred. So all the Thoroughbred exotics will end in race number 9. 
The two irrevocable trust will use on top, first off the claim for a barn who's much better than their numbers look at first glance, the number 7, Hungry and Scrappy, coming off of a good third place finish over at Oaklawn Park, will now try the grass, the number 11 will be using an all exotics, Natoma, who has... You know, some of the better turf form you're going to find in this race And, you know, one of the more logical contenders in here The three packed I love that February 23rd effort Just beating a neck over at Tampa The eight, Diamond Hill You want to go a little bit deeper Source debuted against Maiden Specials at Keeneland on the grass So they obviously thought highly And off a slow start, it's really hard to, to be too um, tough on Diamond Hill for that effort And then the number 10, Princess Lucky Whose June 5th race at Delta Really not bad at all Like a, an effort similar to that Would go a long, long way With this group 2, 7, 11, 3, 8, 10 In what looks like a really good Late pick 5 sequence I might play some kind of a pick 5 Where I single the 1 Sequoia in race 5 Then I use 7, 8, French Vanilla And Super Gen in race 6 In the 7th, I would go Deep, 2, 3, 5 8, 10, 11, 12 it, with Violation, the key horse to use in there In the 8th race, the 7 Nutty Train Is the key horse Used along with the 8 Cash Logistics And the 4 Rampage And in the ninth, the 2 Irrevocable Trust Along with the 3, 7, 8, 10, and 11 So, Indiana Grand Wednesday Full card for you Best of luck Now it's time to get over to Canterbury And talk that late pick 5 Get those past performances out Wednesday, June the 17th at Canterbury And uh, let's go to race number 4 We're going to be talking the late pick 5 sequence 10% takeout, folks That's why I'm going to be talking Canterbury pick 5 Like any time that we can I'm going to be playing this myself Almost every every racing day that they have It's just worth it I like these races They're fun competitive fields You know, you have grass racing also over there at Canterbury no problem by me 10% takeout I'm going to play Let's get to race number 4 And let's start with the 5 Royal Privacy Whose race at Los Alamitos I thought was pretty good To me he feels like the one to beat I think he's going to be close He can sit off a little bit Based on where he's drawn But he should be right in the mix Throughout I have him on As as a horse to beat And maybe even a horse to single On one ticket to start I will use the 6 Smarty Party Papa as one who comes closing Could get a really nice setup coming off that runner-up effort over at Fawner The 8 horse Lang's Legend I think is just consistent And is a horse who should end up maybe falling into a good spot Just not sure if this is going to be his preferred trip anymore He might want to go a little bit shorter than this now as an 8 year old The 1 Elusive Force from the rail Got some major question marks but he comes out of like a really tough race going long on the grass And now you cut back to a sprint on the dirt He's actually succeeded sprinting on the synthetic And it's just the, from the rail Is he going to get shuffled a little bit? That's that's the concern that I have The number 3, saved by 0 I think you have to mention him But I'm okay with playing against him He, he was only claimed for 5 And now he drops back in for 4 But he's coming out of races his last couple Where he just did not run well And it does feel like a pretty big drop in here for Diodoro, although this is this is a game that Diodoro plays quite a bit, so you know depending on how you structure or approach your tickets, you, you're probably gonna have the three on some of them. I'm I'm fine with taking shots against Save by Zero, and then the seven Royal Creed wouldn't really be a shock. Now got the on the quick wheel back and got the recent race under the belt. This guy was actually favored um, when we saw him, you know, run here at Canterbury just a, a week ago. So five, the one to beat. 
and then five, six are kind of the top tier. And then below them, I have the eight. So it's five, six, eight, one, three, seven as horses that I will be using with the five Royal Privacy, the horse to make sure to include in your late pick fives. We go to race number five. And I'm going to start with the four. I thought this was a little more of a spread out race. And in the fourth, I'm fine with like five, six, you know, one, five, six, eight kind of being your top tier there. The fifth race to me feels like. You know, the four Avies Paradise coming off of that, um, you know, good mile race at Turf Paradise. You have the the six, Spitfire Susie, who's a little bit sneaky. That last effort, first time on the grass, really wasn't bad. If she just improves a little bit off of that, she's going to be right there with this group. The number nine, My Heart Sings, Blinkers On. She's just been facing better, you know, over at Fairgrounds. The three... She's fire and ice. I'm a little concerned that she, you know, has not raced since September, and a couple of the others in here have the recent races under their belt. But I think she should be right in the mix with her speed. You have the 11, who's another use, Miss Sassy Attitude, comes in from races at Oaklawn Park where you were facing, you know, Arkansas Breads, but facing some good ones. So I, you know, she she faced the boys uh, last time out. I thought this was just a really really tough group. The eight, another one, and Isles, who's only gone on the grass once. That was against much, much better back in 2018. Came off a long layoff with a race that she absolutely needed. I've got four, six, nine, three, eleven, eight, with the four, the must-use horse, AB's Paradise, in all of your exotics. Sixth race at Canterbury feels like it's just a ready-to-run way and clickbait. And clickbait is cross-entered in a, a race on um, on Thursday also. So clickbait may not enter in here. I, you know, I understand if you want to use Aria Gia, but I just think ready-to-runway is the class of the field, is coming out of some of the better races and should be able to be right on the lead or sit off of and um, and just be better than this group. That's the five, ready-to-runway. So this is a race where I think you can maybe key in on the five or the three five. Um, if you wanted to go a little bit deeper, it would be the four Aria Gia, and then the six Pinup Girl would be the next maybe bust out long shot that I would use on one ticket. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the seventh race because I just thought it was really really tough. Um, I'm going to use all on one of the pick five tickets uh, that I play. I think on another one, I'll use the inside four horses, the one, two, three, and four. I think the three is a little bit sneaky here. Doesn't have you know the turf form that jumps out at you, but go look at those grass races. They're not bad at all. The you know the two first hunter comes off of a, a poor effort, but another one who's uh, you know faced tough company in the last couple. I think Sapphire Jubilee is probably like a measuring stick type from the rail, appealing Audrey. Anything that that she was doing towards the. Uh, you know, the early part of 2020 would likely crush this group. So she's hard to leave out. Um, so I guess the inside four I prefer the most, but I, I wouldn't be shocked to see anything in that seventh race. No real strong opinion there other than just make sure you throw the three in who could be a little sneaky. The eighth race to close things out. I really love the six Malibu Pro who should be close, can sit, can pass horses. This is a versatile animal. He's a five-time winner over this track. Malibu Pro on the slight cutback, hopefully sitting just off the pace in here. The number nine, if you want to go a little deeper, Chris and Dave. I followed this horse for a while back in Southern California. He just loves the win, and when he shows up with his top effort, he would you know absolutely dust this group. The number seven, 
United Patriots, another one to include if you end up going a, a little bit deeper, coming off the Will Rogers uh, stakes win last time out. Could be set up for even better here, third off the bench. And then the four, Gato Guapo. Gato Guapo can be closer. Good effort finishing third last time out um, when having to go really, really wide at Will Rogers. Six, nine, seven, four there at Canterbury. A couple approaches in this pick five. One five six eight with three four six eight nine eleven with five with one two three four with six nine. Play another one where I single the five royal privacy with three four six eight nine eleven with three four five six with all single the six Malibu Pro to close things out. So, uh, yep, a few different approaches there in Canterbury's Wednesday late pick five. Best of luck, ten percent takeout, folks. You gotta get involved as much as you can. So I know you're a horse racing fan because you're in the middle of listening to the Wednesday and and Thursday handicapping stuff. So stop right now. Go to oldsmokeclothing.com. Oldsmokeclothing.com. Check this website out. If you're a horse racing fan, this is the way you can show the horse racing fan in you. We're talking t-shirts with horse names, polos, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, hats. They have, you know, the biggest races, slogans, logos, uh, and, and then more importantly, there's a deal right now on the Old Smoke Clubhouse for an annual fee of $500. This is Thoroughbred Racing's exclusive membership for the sport's most passionate fans. You get quarterly packages delivered to your doorstep filled with apparel, items, experiences that encompass the lifestyle of the sport of kings. So you get four deliveries, you get the Eclipse, which ships the first week of January, the Derby, which ships the first week of April, the Spa, which ships the first week of July, and the Royal, which ships the first week of October. Each quarterly package will include a t-shirt only available to members, custom horse racing themed gift, and various package fillers. Annually, you get one Old Smoke Clubhouse headwear piece made exclusively for members. You get one Old Smoke Clubhouse designer outerwear piece made exclusively for members. And the membership perks of the Old Smoke Clubhouse. 20% off all orders at oldsmokeclothing.com. Access to the Old Smoke Clubhouse online forum. Video feature appearance on americasbestracing.net. Quarterly betting contest. Cashback referral program. Additional perks added quarterly. For more information, email clubhouse at oldsmokeclothing.com. Check out the website oldsmokeclothing.com. And we've got a deal for you when you use that promo code. G-I-N-O You get free shipping No shipping costs there When you use that promo code G-I-N-O Oldsmokeclothing.com Promo code Gino When you go to check out And speaking of checkout, Make sure to give a look To that clubhouse That offer 500 bucks annual fee And you get packages delivered to you All throughout the year Oldsmokeclothing.com Promo code G-I-N-O For free shipping Okay, let's finish things up with a Thursday horse racing. We're going to go to three different racetracks. Belmont, Churchill, Canterbury. Get those past performances out. We are at Thursday, June the 18th. And we're going to move to race number six for uh, my plays at Belmont Park where they start. We're going to go to the number three quid. 
I think this is a great spot for Quid cutting back. Now, my major concern with him is that he doesn't seem to have a ton of speed. But you get Carmouche, who's a very good, aggressive gate rider. I don't think that they're going to have Quid on the lead. But if he's just able to stay in contention, I think you're going to get a wicked late closing kick from Quid on the cutback, on the drop-in class. That debut race win against Maiden Claimers was really good. And the, the races following at Tampa were not bad. In fact, they were really, really productive races. How about January the 19th? Three next out winners that day. You had a maiden special weight winner at, come out of that race at Tampa next out, a maiden special weight winner at Fairgrounds next out, and a maiden claiming winner. How about the uh, February the 12th race? There were three more next out winners. The horse who won that day, domestic spending, is two for two and won a first level allowance next out. The second and fourth place finishers also came back to win maiden special weights. And then on March the 28th, three next out winners that day. The horse who won Sensation came back to win a first level allowance at Gulfstream at 55 to 1. The third place finisher and the eighth place finisher came back to win maiden specials. This guy is just coming out of way way tougher races, drops in class, should come rolling late, just needs a little pace to run at. If we can get three to one, we'll play the number three, Quid, in race six at Belmont Park. Let's move to race number seven at Belmont. There's not a lot of speed in this race, so the one, it's all relevant. You know, if you're playing any late exotics, I think you have to use. I really like the four proven reserves. He used to be able to sit a little closer. His lack of speed in his last few is a little concerning, but from just a a pure class standpoint, I think he fits really nicely with this group. And because he doesn't have any big gaudy speed figures in his last couple, you might actually get a little bit more value on him than you should. That's the four proven reserves we'll use in all exotics with the one it's all relevant who might be the lone speed in there for one in race number seven. In the eighth race, uh, I like the one Morning Colors here. He was off a little bit. She was off a little bit slowly in her debut. That was at Tampa, but she was quickly able to settle into a nice spot, about fourth, um, three lengths off, two deep. Was asked and moved around three deep, took the lead. It was immediately challenged, but then put that one away. Super professional. Was a geared down neck and was this horse was never going to get beat that day. That was against Open Company. Now you come in with New York Bread's first level allowance. I think this is a great spot for the number one. Morning Colors will use in all the exotics along with the nine Astoria Kitten. The one Morning Colors is the play. If we get anything around, you know, three to one or so, we'll make a win wager. In race number nine, the critical eye. I respect the favorites in here. The two uh, is going to take a ton of money you'd you'd expect. And, you know, more mischief is going to take some money also. I like the one English soul. I think that she came back against a tough group last time out in April. Now you're in with New York breads. She's going to need a little pace to run at from the inside. But I, I think she actually has a little bit more speed than it seems in her last few. She should be able to kind of secure a nice spot from the inside. Let's go with the one. English soul using all exotics along with the two and with the five. And then to close things out in race number 10, I thought the 11 Devil's Rendezvous, who got some action in both starts against Better. Actually, it was only, you know, eight to one in the career debut at Saratoga in the slop that day. You can easily excuse that effort. Career start number two. Um, was only 5-1 to one going long on the turf and showed a little tactical speed before fading. I think this is a great spot for Devil's Rendezvous to drop. He cut back, in cl- uh, cut back 
And you drop in class Devil's Rendezvous The 11 Using all your exotics Along with the 6 Abbey Normal And the 7 Saratoga Lullaby So if you're playing Some kind of late exotics At Saratoga Make sure in the 6th race The number 3 Quid I might play a small pick 4 That looks something like this In race number 7 1-4 With 1-9 With 1-2-5 With 6 Seven, eleven, a small ticket with a couple prices in the sequence, uh, but it could be formful there in that late pick four at Belmont. Best of luck there at Belmont Park on Thursday. Get your past performances out for Churchill Downs Thursday, June the eighteenth, and let's go to race number two for our first play. There doesn't look like there's a ton of speed in this second race on paper. Light of the World has uh, has some speed. Hasn't really shown a lot in the last few. He, there might be uh, something up with him, but he has the ability to show that kind of speed. And also, uh, Believe in Holidays has a little bit of, uh, of tactical speed in here. I think Jumper ends up sitting the trip. Jumper has shown the ability to get the lead. He actually got the lead ahead of Believe in Holidays in a race that Jumper ended up winning. And he showed that he can sit, put a line through that race on the synthetic. You know, this barn is 3 for 10 at the meet. They're excellent with this type of layoff. He can sit off if he has to. Jumper. Make our top selection in race number 2 at Churchill Downs. Let's make a win wager if we can get like 4 to 1, 7 to 2 or so. We'll move to race number six at Churchill. This is also the start of your late pick four. There are two horses that I like in here. Um, the the two Angeles Warrior broke out, settled three deep mid-pack, was never more than five lengths off, made a big four-wide bid, was a really solid second on the grass last time out. That was his first start since December, and he has every right to improve. I think he's the measuring stick horse in this race and the one that you have to use, but I like the seven-acre who has beautiful grass breeding and they finally get on the turf they actually worked on the grass recently this one's a half to Leah who was 3 for 8 was a graded stakes winner on the turf 4 siblings that have raced 3 winners all of them won on the grass beautiful grass breeding for Acre let's use the 7 and the 2 in your late pick 4 and we'll make a win wager on the 7 if we can get I don't know, anything around 7 to 2 or so I think Botero is worthy of a single in race number 7 Botero dropped down and was just Missing putting it all together On the drop put it all together Now you step back up but he just fits Right back with this same group just a repeat Of the race that he's been running in three Consecutive races that should put him Right on the wire Botero Tactical speed should be sitting close That's the number three make sure to use him In all of your exotics I'm going to single him In the late pick four In race Number eight We're going to go to the number four Picasso who We'll be finally putting two starts together And he came off of just a couple month uh, break On May the 23rd He was a step slow But he moved up nicely on the inside He was fourth He was about three lengths off He ran up into a tight spot He had to tap on the brakes He tried three or four different times To get through to alter course He was always blocked He was always behind horses He never got a shot to run I think he's a must use in all exotics I'm going to make a win wager If we can get anything over three to one the one get the prize does look like the one to beat off that runner-up effort, and he has more speed than that, so don't be shocked if he's a lot closer early on in here. And then the number five, Wild Poppet. I uh, like the slight turn back for a horse who has some, shown some speed going a mile. Uh, I think he should be a lot more fit today. So 4-1-5 in race number eight. And then to close things out in the ninth, I just thought it was a really wide-open, tough race where you could use many, so I'll play a pick four, and I'll use all my pick four, which starts in race number six, is going to go two seven with single Botero with one four five with all 
in race number nine. Don't forget about that second race with the number eight, Jumper. That's your Thursday plays for Churchill Downs. Let's close things out with Canterbury Park in their late pick five. Get those past performances out. Let's tune. Uh, let's turn to the fourth race for Thursday over at Canterbury. So let's get to race four at Canterbury. That 10% takeout in the pick five starts in the fourth. And this was a, a brutally difficult race just in that, I mean, we really have to lean towards the first-time starters in here for Burnt, who's just a very good with first-time starters and has had a nice start to the meeting. So the one sweet eclipse, the dam of this was a, uh, one was a five-time winner, earned 125000 multiple stakes placed. All five of her wins came right here at Canterbury. She's produced three foals to, uh, to race so far besides Sweet Eclipse. Two of them have won. And the barn is 11 for 60 with their most recent first-time starters. That's a 221 ROI over a five-year sample size. So a lot of those, those same statistics you can use for the number five Golden Gopher, whose dam was just one for 14 but did produce two uh, other winning foals. I thought the one in the five, I think you really have to use both of them. And then the seven, Hurricane Hunter. This barn has had zero first-time starters over the last five years. The dam of this one was a two-time winner, produced three sibs. One of them won. You know, after the first-time starters, where do you go? You have a bunch of low-percentage barns with horses who showed nothing. Um, I would look to... The four, Charming Fury, who adds the blinkers on the drop-in class to just... Hopefully wake up on the drop I'd also look at the 6 added diamonds For similar second time starters For barns A barn that's better than those numbers look But to me this this race runs through the firsters And it runs through the 1-5 and, and possibly even the 7 The 5th race at Canterbury I'm going to single the 12 on one of my tickets uh, Blame the cake Who I just think the cutback is going to be a huge, huge advantage for this one coming over from Churchill Downs. He ran really well against Open Maiden Specials a couple starts back at Tampa. And then at Churchill, he was a close-up, you know, just a few close-up fourth, couple lengths off. And then he gets caught in between horses, kind of shuffled in some traffic. He's three, four deep, and he ends up tiring. Two back, he was behind a horse named Creed, who came right back to win recently at Belmont very impressively. I think blame the cake. Sits nicely from the outside. He's going to be really tough in here. That's the 12. After him, I go to the 9, Illuminati, who had a good start but got hooked 5 wide pressing. He loomed up to within a length early in the stretch before fading late. The 10, Real Grace, who showed good speed when finishing 2nd at uh, over at Tampa. He broke well and he ran right into a battle with uh, rival Mulkowitz. He put that one away and he really tried hard all the way to hold 2nd. The six plain talk blinkers off. He was buying a horse named Erner, who finished third versus first level allowance company at Churchill recently, so he's exiting a, a productive race. Uh, the two drama chorus, big cutback. He has enough speed to stay close. He has legit sprint speed. Make sure to use him on the turn back here. And the seven wild tonight. I think he's just coming out of you know a better race where he was way overmatched, but it has produced a couple of next out winners. And he has every right to step forward with that race under his belt. So for me, it's 12, and then it's wide open. So I'll play one ticket where I single the 12, then another ticket where I use all of those horses that I mentioned. Like, so I have 12, 9, 10, 6, 2, 7 in that fifth. Let's move to race number 6. I like the 6, row the boat in here. I love this cutback. 
I think you could just excuse his last effort on May the 20th He was a step slow But he moved through on the inside He got to within two He was up to third And then he just couldn't go on with the top two They opened up on the field That's been productive as the runner-up effort Has come back to win This is a softer spot than that 8,000 claimer That Roe the Boat was in I think this is a really good effort, a really good spot for him And just, just that same type of effort Puts him right in it A couple next out winners from his last um, they came back to win 8,000 non-twos and 10,000 non-twos That's open company Now you're back in with Minnesota Breds and The number 6, row the boat Sitting close on the cutback Should be fitter today with a little more bottom The number 9, Sean Shine He's probably the quickest in here I think we have to use him for that reason alone Purple Monster should be... In a good spot early He has kind of the tactical speed That should end up sitting a, a, a great spot And a good trip in here I think Note Oscura from the inside And then blame Bishop if you want to go a little deeper But I have 6-9 on my top tier And 6-9-10-1-4 uh, In that order in race number 6 And the 7th race Good luck here This w- this one is really tough when you're looking at it Um I think the 8 out of patience got a wake up win last time on the drop This horse has faced a lot better He knows how to win I remember him in Southern California uh, from a while back And I love when horses who you know are talented enough Get that drop, get that win He's got some back class to call upon Out of patience The 5 Mr. Benz He just feels like he's coming out of so much better races recently There were 3 next out winners from his last race Clear the mine uh, Who won, has won, was a winner of three consecutive races December the 30th There were two next out winners that day It just seems like he's Taking major major class relief in here So Mr. Benz I have a tough time leaving out of exotics The 7 blue bomber broke well he, Things got a little tight going into the turn He ended up settling fourth He was inside within a couple lengths And in between horses He angled to the inside He shot through up the challenge But he was all in at the top of the lane he fits with these I just don't quite like him as much as I do the uh, the top two The one Unleash the Beast Can he get the lead with a horse like Fearless Will in here? He cleared the field and was gone uh, Easily on June the 10th And he comes back in 8 days And then you have the six Slick as Ice Who if you toss his last two And you say okay maybe he needed the race uh, Coming off a couple months And then the race that sent him to the bench Couple of efforts right before that, the January 25th, the December race at Tampa, those would put him in contention with this group. Eight, five, seven, one, six. I have eight and five as the top tier in this seventh race. Let's close things out in race number eight with a one. Time for kisses. Yes, the rail draw is a major concern, but I think she she has enough speed to break well and then sit. In her most recent race, she had a good start She was a close-up third, she moved to the lead She was too deep, and then she was in the three-path At the top of the lane, she opened up a length And she got nailed in the last 50 yards But I think she sits a really good trip in here That's the one, time for kisses The number four party, lights on the big drop in class Gonna be pretty tough We'll see if clickbait ends up running in this spot If, if she- 
if she does, you, you got to use her. And then the other logical horse would be Miz and Air, who has won a lot of races, has kind of tailed off as of late, but she's actually coming out of some of the better races um, in this group. So one, four, five, three at Canterbury. Here's a couple approaches at the pick five that I might take, um, starting into the fourth race. Uh, one, five with two, six, seven, nine, ten, twelve. With one six nine ten, with one five seven eight, with one four. Uh, another one, I'll do one five seven with twelve single to twelve. With one four six nine ten, with one five six seven eight, with one three four five, and then we we'll play another one where we'll go all with six nine ten twelve, with one six nine, with five eight, with one four. In the fourth race, make sure to use the firsters. The fifth race, the 12 blame the cake is going to be an exotic single for me. The sixth race, the six row the boat. The seventh, the eight, out of patience. And the eighth race, the number one, time for kisses. That's Canterbury for Thursday. Hope you enjoyed all the racing talk here. We had a ton of Wednesday, Thursday horse racing action. NBA, MLB, we talked some golf, we talked some NFL. Big thank you to some of the sponsors of this episode. Sarah Candles, make sure to use that promo code G-I-N-O. Don't forget, sarahcandles.com. Cindy Carava, full-service realtor. If you need anything in the field of real estate, make sure to contact Cindy. Our friends at Stable Duel, they're coming back soon. Follow them over at stableduel.com or on Twitter at stableduel. Old Smoke, don't forget about them. Oldsmokeclothing.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O and same thing over at Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. Thrive Fantasy, you'll get a $10 bonus credit when you deposit that 10 instantly. So big thank you to the sponsors of this episode. We'll be back in uh, just a few days. We'll cover the big Saturday, Belmont. We'll go through the Montreal screw job with Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne. And we'll cover all the other news in the world of sports. So thanks again for joining us and uh, make sure to share the show with your friends. Subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Google Podcasts, tune in anywhere that you get your podcast. Joey, let's close it out.